Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's episode of Barbecue and Tech, episode number seven, this is the Standing Rib Roast, also known as Prime Rib. What up, man? What's going on, big brother? All right. Just in case you guys haven't picked up voices by now, this is Rod Simmons talking. I always kick the show off, and then I bring in my homie, Chris Ashley, as we get ready to talk some of the goodness. Some more smoking food and barbecue. And first off, man, the response, the the interactions, the fun. It's crazy, man. I just... I. I always wanted to do a podcast around this topic, but I never knew if it would work. But so far, it has been working. <laughs> I guess we are having an absolute blast. I mean, we could do this anyway and just have these conversations and be done. But just the new folks we're meeting and seeing these new picks and these, you know, these interesting smoking ideas and opinions. Man, I'm loving this. This is exactly what I wanted to get out of the podcast. So thanks everyone who's been listening thank you all who have been sharing the show out and tweeting it and retweeting it and commenting man i overwhelmed appreciate you you know it's uh it's always good because you if you can pick up another technique from somebody especially from either another country or somewhere else within your own country on good ways to do barbecue or good ways just to cook food. It's, it's always good. And I, that's how, I, that's, that's how it has to be. Right. You know, of course you got people like me who like to hoard all my tips and tricks and all my ideas. But, and the, the reality is, you know, which, I've learned so much, which is <laughs> probably why people. you never started a show <laughs> <laughs> that kryptonite, but uh, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to, uh, you know, share, share a few things here and using this podcast as a vehicle to make me better at it. You know, I'm not saying everything is going out the door, but you know, I've, I've been pretty open about process and, you know, and ingredients and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully people are enjoying what they hear. Yeah. The, the fact that most recently um, to one of our friends, you gave out a recipe for your um, hash brown casserole that mm-hmm. as a friend of yours for over 40 years now you wouldn't actually almost 43 years you would not depart that recipe on me so i know that says something when you're willing to start giving out recipes that it after 43 years of friendship i still was on the uh with the stiff arm the heisman 
keep me away from your recipe. Well, I it's it's not the fact that you know you can go and look up a hash brown casserole, and this is how, how I explained it uh, to Allison. I don't have a problem saying who I who I shared it with uh, from the wonderful No Silicast podcast. No Silicast podcast. Um, what up, Steve? See that it carries over, <laughs> but uh, you know it's not. It's like. And the way I had to share it with her so it would make sense was I had to give her like a basic recipe that I had found a long time ago after the first time I had it. And then I basically fast forwarded all the way up to how I do it today. You know what I mean? So all the tips and tricks and all the uh, additional things that I do to the basic recipe is what she got. And uh, funny enough, uh, she did a test run. And was able to walk around her neighborhood and have some of her neighbors try it out and they all loved it. You know, so props to her for nailing it on the first on the first go around. Yeah, uh, the so only problem is come Thanksgiving Day, it's gonna be like, What what is this garbage you made? Like it tasted <laughs> good the first time. Call the neighbors and ask. <laughs> it, it's all it's such a rough thing. You know, your first one is always so wonderful and then you start chasing it. But uh, no, this this you know, I really you know, she's very technical and very process oriented yeah. uh so there's no way you know she's she's oh she's only I, I actually anticipate her just finding ways to improve it and make it better and better if i'm to be honest you know and that's fine you know take what i did you know take it to the next you take it to the next level now that's that's what i did it took me years to get this particular version down you know and uh that's that's what i do right i find something i like have it though the, their way the first time and then after that, I spend time trying to figure out how to make it better and better and better until I've, and then once I achieve what I want, then I do it repeatedly and lock it in until, it, until it's like second nature. So yeah. that, that's the way I kind of proceed. And I do believe part of the reason why your first time doing anything is that you're, you're so, you're so focused on all the process, all the details, all of this when you do it. And then by the, the second time you do it, you're you're probably not as nervous. So, but with I think brisket and prime rib fall in the same category for one thing. It's a super expensive piece of meat that you're buying, and I will say the the line between perfect and abject failure is not as rageous thin. At least I feel with prime rib. I, no, not a. I think it's a it's a easy if you're going to cook it. The best time, in my opinion, to cook it. Is at the holiday. So I will tell you one quick funny story. So yep. a very close friend of mine, he's come up to my house. I've traveled with him and um, <clears throat> he had got, he was married and he was coming up with his wife. And I was like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll cook for you guys. You know, you guys can come up and eat. This was years ago. And I was, I'll make prime rib for because, you know, she, he married his wife is from China. She came over. Um, and it was like her first time coming up and really meeting us. So I make prime rib. I'm like, this is a fantastic meal. As so I thought, mm. and uh, you know, we served the food, and I was in the kitchen doing something. He came and he goes, uh, "I don't even know how to ask you this, so I'm going to just say sorry." And she's from China, and I'm, I'm looking at him, and I'm, I was like, "If you ask me for a one, we're going to have issues." <laughs> Chris, it was worse than that. He's like, um. Where she comes from, they always eat ketchup on their stuff. <gasps> my heart's hurting, man. It it took everything not to throw my my house. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I was like, well, you know where the ketchup is? If you and your wife go out the back door, <laughs> run to McDonald's, take your plate with you. <laughs> Don't come. No, leave the plate. <laughs> go get you a burger. That's where the ketchup. They already put it on there. So prime rib, Ouch. like I say, it is the only thing I think you should ever be, other than when you're when you're preparing and seasoning, the only thing I think you should ever be doing with it is potentially dipping it in an au jus or if you like horseradish with it. But beyond uh, that, or horseradish, yeah. Yeah. Beyond Pretty that, I, I, I don't comprehend. As is. I don't comprehend yeah. people who use A1 and. You know, it's funny uh, on that, along those lines too. My mom, you know, I went, flew down to Florida to grab my mom and bring her back up for Thanksgiving. And, uh, I made, I had some burgers left over from the last grind that we did. So, you know, this is that time period where you don't really feel like making big meals because you want to keep your refrigerators as bare as possible. Yep. And uh, so I just said burger time. So I fired up the old Blackstone griddle, fired up the burgers. Oh, they're so good when you make your own burgers. And then my mom comes in the kitchen. And I was like, I put down lettuce, tomato for her. And she's like, where's the ketchup? And I looked at her. I was like, there is no ketchup. In- <laughs> if anybody understands anything about me, I'm a big time mama's boy. And so whatever mom wants, generally she gets. But in this particular case, I was like, no, <laughs> this is, there's, there is no ketchup on my burgers. It's somewhere cold in the kitchen. and I'm walking out to not even know that you did that. <laughs> All right. So I know I've done prime rib a number of times for Christmas, and I think it's become one of your staples that you do at your house uh, for Christmas. Yeah, well. I honestly started because you started, uh, if I'm to be honest. You know, I just it wasn't something that was on my radar. I would normally do a fried turkey for Thanksgiving and then a smoked turkey for Christmas. And uh, we would buy the smoked turkey until I got really into smoking them myself. Um, I've done uh fried turkeys as well for Christmas. And then I started switching it up. And uh, once you did the your first rib roast, I was like, man, this is a great idea and an elegant meal, uh, a staple at a lot of weddings. So why not uh, follow that train as well? Jumped on the train. Yeah. And putting it on the smoker makes it even better. So um, I know we probably have very similar process trying to keep it simple, stupid when making yes. it. Um, but let's start with your your cut. I mean, are you a? Do you go for a prime cut? Are you fine with a choice cut? Do you want first cut? Are you willing to take second cut? Where I think, I believe in the first cut you get more of the um, uh, the ribeye is like kind of it's a lot larger in the in the meat. Yeah. Are, are you very picky like that? Are you like no? Just let me I'm see not, the meat. I'm, I want to see the marbling, and I'm good. And I can. That's pick. it. That's yeah. it for me. I, I'm not too picky about the the. the you know, the specifics of the cuts. Uh, generally, I, I go to the butcher to get it. I have gone to our local grocery store, like our more higher end grocery store and gotten it from them once. Um, but most of the time I go to our butcher uh, and get it. And and when I order it, I just it just really how many bones do I want and make sure it has some good marbling to it. So you're a four bone and at least person, if I remember correctly, four or five. Yeah, so I get four. Um, I used, I started out at three and it wasn't quite enough. So we bumped it up to four and, uh, that, that is right there. So that kind of leads into how we've been trying to open the show, uh, which is, uh, uh, some tips for our beginners. Cause I know a lot of folks probably listening to this episode has been wrestling with whether they want to try a bone in rib roast. 
and uh, or standing rib roast, whichever way you want to call it. And uh, so let me break down some tips for you guys for getting into this. So I would say my first tip for doing a bone and rib roast is understand that this is a very expensive cut. At, at least you're going to, you know, around three bones, you're probably going to expect to pay anywhere between $120 and $150 for it. Um, so understand that what you're getting into is this is this is like a serious investment. And so be, make sure that you're ready to spend that money. And if you mess it up, take that L, right? So I, I don't want anybody to listen to this episode. It's like, oh, this is easy. I'm going to get this thing and mess it up. And all of a sudden they're mad at me because they wasted so much. Listen, it's an expensive cut. I'm not trying to discourage you. You know, everybody's got to start somewhere. And I pretty much, to me, no matter what, I'm going to eat it. You know what I mean? So, but uh, just understand it's, it's a very expensive cut. So don't get more than you need. Right. So if you got a bunch of big eaters, get more bones. But if you don't, don't get too many bones because it, it does spread pretty far. My second tip for doing a bone in rib roast is definitely, definitely, definitely have multiple thermometers because, you know, this is beef. You, you tend to, and, and in this particular case, and in the, in the technique which we will talk about that we like to do is, you know, you want to slightly be under whatever doneness that you want because you're going to, do a crust in the, in the end, which will raise the temperature up some more. So you want to be pay particular attention to the temperature. So I always have one of my remote thermometers in and this year it'll be the meter, but in the past it had been my flame boss uh, as well as I've used the um, charbroil one that they have out there. Um, and, but I always, and this is something you've heard us say before. I always have a secondary one that I keep in my pocket uh, so that we can uh, make sure that the temperature is where it's supposed to be, you know, and it should never be off by like, you know, a ton of a ton of different degrees. So definitely have multiple thermometers for this one because you only can nail this once you get that temperature right. And my third and final tip for anybody starting out on a bone and rib roast is definitely have the butcher separate the bone from the meat. So what am I talking about? So if you look at a picture of a bone and rib roast, you normally see like the roundish meat section and then you see the bones coming up off the side of it. And I started out not doing that and there's nothing wrong if that's where you prefer it. But um, what I find is that when it goes, when it's time to serve and time to cut them, I don't like it aesthetically cutting it after the fact. And there, you don't lose anything by pre-cutting the bone. So what the butcher will do is they'll run that knife right down that bone and separate those bones from the rib roast itself. But then they will go ahead and reattach it with a string so that you still get the flavoring from the bones. And I just think when it comes time to cut, you get better slices out of it. Um, and there's plenty of meat in between the bones, which is something you know great to gnaw on uh, for folks that like to do that. Uh, but you get all the flavor, you get some extra cool factor from you separating the bones and in a presentation. And when you slice up the main section of it, you get, you get a better slice from, from those pieces. So to me, the, that by far, it was the best one that I had done when I started, uh, having the butcher separate the bones. I would probably add like 
one more, which is when you get to the point where it's time to slice, don't be stingy. Like you're actually going for thicker slices of that meat. Yeah, definitely. And remember, like if you if often you're dealing with people who want their meat cooked at a variety of ranges. So there's there's the walk it by the flame people. There's the the rare, the medium rare, medium, and then there's people who you don't invite to your house to eat. Um, once you get to medium, and especially with the prime rib, you don't cater to anybody who says they want it anything beyond really medium. Or if at best, they're going to get the outside slice of the meat because no matter how good you are or how rough it is, those outer edges are probably going to be cooked a little bit more towards that um, shoe leather side. And I, I, I just, when I say that, but it will be a little bit more cooked. It'll a little be, more. it'll be much more done. Yeah. Yeah. So give it's those still tasty because it yeah. has that crust on it. So it's a, it's a fantastic piece to eat. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, if you're looking for that rare versus that medium versus that well done, yeah, outside, that doesn't outside, exist. Well, you know, Outside in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is no well done. Don't try to accomplish. That is one. This is one of those times where you're cooking and you don't ask somebody like, how do they want it cooked? You can go for saying, look, I'm going to make sure there's some medium in here. And if you know that the dead center is going to be more rare. So I was like, for the people who want it really rare, they're going to get the kind of middle, just get a little bit larger one and, and work, work your way out for the people who, um, who you may not invite over, yeah. over again for prime rib. Yeah, right. It's an expensive meat. It's definitely not something you want to overcook. Yeah. And um, also, despite what you want to believe, like when you look at temperatures like you, you're it's such a big and heavy piece of meat that you're going to get a lot of cook over. And I think you talked about that a lot with brisket before. And we've talked about it with, I think, like pork shoulder as well, is that know that when you take that off, that meat is going to stick kill for at least probably another 30 minutes, probably rise another 10, maybe up to 15 yeah. degrees. Yep. So if I'm going for like a medium, like around a 135, I'm probably pulling it at 125. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Yep. And and then uh, let it go up. Yep. And you can p- play around with that. But um, are you a are you a re- so I know we're done with tips. Are you a um, reverse seer? And are you so um yeah yes to an extent right so. To me, reverse searing, it goes on a grill and you're, you know, you're really just trying to close up the outside of, um, you know, you're putting a crust on it, right? But it's more flat. Whereas in this, you want to put a round crust on it. So I do like the process of taking this thing and putting it into somewhere extremely hot. Um, this was much easier with the egg because the egg could get all upwards of seven, eight hundred degrees. And really crisp up the outside and it just gives you a wonderful texture as you're biting into into the meat from the outside in. So, you know, in this particular case, this is what I'm referring to as crusting uh, the outside. So I do the same thing when I do uh, a uh, tomahawk steak. Um, I will smoke it, take it off the smoker when it's about 10 degrees under. I'll take it to my grill. Have that grill somewhere four, five, six hundred degrees and just drop it right on the grill. You get an immediate sizzle. But when you're done, you get a nice harder crusting on the outside. And definitely it's a aesthetic that I I aspire to when I do the uh, And it's quick. You're not you're not trying to you're not cooking it. You're just searing that outside because you don't want the temperature to continue to rise because then you overcook your meat. Something that I forgot we didn't even touch on is Definitely trimming. There's a big, thick, fat cap that's on it that you want to trim. A, at least I do. I trim a lot of that away 
Um, and I, I try to get underneath to get to that silver skin when I, when I do mine, cause seasoning doesn't stick to silver skin. As we all know, you're trying to get the seasoning of meat. It's such a big piece of meat. Um, uh, another probably key thing for you to consider as you do it. And I think you do as well. I know that our butcher doesn't dry age, unfortunately. So we, well, I, they do, but it's nothing that is no different than what we would do, do at home. home. Yeah. So I, right. I tend to get mine at least, you know, anywhere between like about five days ahead of time so that I can refrigerate or I'll, I'll it's not really dry. So, aging, but. so that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Cause mm. you know, we're a barbecue and tech and we definitely talk food and barbecue. We also talk the tech we use to facilitate this and dry aging is a process that, uh, that we get into. And this is not the, you can get super high tech with it, right. Or you can get, uh, you know, low tech, um, and so why don't you kind of explain in, in a basic sense, right? We, we want to make sure we're speaking to our audience, the backyard barbecue enthusiasts, what dry aging is and does. Yeah. So um, I'll start off with what I do is not dry aging, but it is, I'll call, well, for the intents and purposes of what we're going to be doing at home, let's call it dry aging just to make it easy for anybody who's super technical. They know that there's a certain temperature you have to dry age at. All you're really trying to do is get some of the moisture out of the meat to intensify the flavors at, at the most basic of what you're doing. The process that I do at home, and I think Chris does the same thing, is you, 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 after you've trimmed it up a bit, you take it, you put it in the refrigerator, you drape it. I use cheesecloth. You can use a towel, but you're throwing away towels because they tend to absorb a lot of the blood that's in the meat. But I leave it in the refrigerator so it's elevated on like a, a rack and a pan underneath so the blood any blood that's really residual can drip in, but the cheesecloth is sitting on top and it's going to pull some of that moisture out of the meat. And I do that for about three to four days. Uh, and every day, the first day, every, uh, the first, like, I think it's like every six hours I change the, che- the, the cheesecloth, but then it's every day after that. So the first day I do it a little bit frequently because I'm trying to get rid of the, the one that got the most of the moisture. And then every day after that, it's really just change it once a day and throwing it away, getting a new one. And what you will see is that you'll probably lose about three to five ounces of weight on your, on your, um, your piece of meat, uh, between then and when you're going to cook. You'll also see that the outside skin starts to look a little bit leathery. No big deal. Just trim a little bit of that off and you're, you're raring to go, but you're not. And you don't have to go crazy when you trim it. Yeah. You're just looking for something that's like really hard. Um, because you're not going to get to the levels that like a professional or place does where they have the humidity set at a certain temperature to really, you know, to get, get those, get that moisture out of the meat. Um, and in which case they will probably get some mold on the outside and they just trim all that off. And then you get this wonderful, very deep meat flavor, beef flavor that is left. Uh, on the meat it gets smaller and you lose some of the volume like rod mentioned but man if you've ever been to a super fine restaurant uh, or if you haven't been if you go definitely see if they you know what their dry age is um and especially if you go to a restaurant i know one of my favorite restaurants uh steakhouses i've gone to was in halifax uh nonetheless and uh they're no longer there but when you walk in the door they actually had their dry age um apparatus in the front of the restaurant. So you, you oh, yeah. walked in and you saw the meats dry aging uh, as soon as you walked in the door. Yeah. The, uh, I was just thinking the other thing um, 
and I, I I've gone to many steakhouses, and even if you go to like a high end grocery store like a Wegmans in the U.S. and you walk in, they will dry age meat for you. But sure. remember what they're doing if they're saying forty five days dry age, it's lost a lot of weight, and in, it, the flavor is going to be a lot more intense, which is awesome. But yeah. the price is going to be that much higher because they're like, well, we lost all this weight that we couldn't sell you, so therefore we're going to charge you more. And there's space and all yeah. that. So, so so far. We need a cheesecloth, easy. We need a uh, a rack, and we need a, a tray, some type of a tray uh, for that. And then normally I just stick it in my secondary refrigerator. Certainly if you have space in your primary refrigerator or if you only have access to one refrigerator, no problem. Just slide it in there, and away you go, right? Yep. What do you use? to get your seasoning to stick to the meat. I, it's like, I'm trying to make sure we get to like the beginning stuff. Um, I use canola. Yep. I'm, I'm good with canola. Um, I've used olive oil as well. Yep. Um, I've used one time I used like a fancier olive oil, which, which would have like garlic and rosemary in it. Yep. Um, I think, uh, having like a sprig of rosemary around your, around your, uh, around your beef is just adds an amazing, uh, flavor to it. Uh, I think that's more popular with like the uh, Brazilian barbecue places. Uh-huh. They they do that a lot, and uh, so I've done that. Uh, but generally speaking, a canola oil or an olive oil, I don't have a problem with. Okay, uh, just use it, and I just take it, folks, and just really just wipe down the outside, nothing crazy, just so that uh, the seasoning sticks to it. And so, what are you a season the heck out of it or are you a uh you know understated with your primary i'm a i'm a salt and pepper person now i go heavy but i'm a salt and pepper person um and it's yeah. again it's a it's a huge piece of meat so you're trying to get all the flavor you're going to get is going to be on the outside but i'm not a poke holes in it and shove garlic like minced garlic inside of it or i'm not a yeah. you know create a butter slathering so i can slather it with butter and all these different types of seasonings yeah, i don't do any of that either um i might you can say, if you like if you want you know that's the those, those are all things that people do like they'll take a big slice in the middle and they'll they'll you know stuff down garlic and herbs and stuff right in the middle and then tie it back up so that those kind of permeate the inside from the inside out. To me, I, I just find that not to be worth the integrity at the end. It's not a problem. I've had it. It tastes great. But for me, I'm with Rod. I, I like just salt and pepper on this bad boy. And do you brine yours? No. No. Yeah. I don't brine no. mine either. So no brine. It, uh, it's just season. It's just, uh, Dry aged in the refrigerator, seasoned on the smoker the next day. Yeah. And um, I know we touched on temperatures before, but just for those who are, you know, trying to think temperatures, I think prime rib is roughly 120 to 125, 127 is rare, medium. Yeah, they follow the same standards of pretty much any restaurant. Yeah, medium rare, rare is medium. 128, 135, medium is 136, 145, and then. Anything above that is why are you serving it? Just make hamburgers. But one forty six and above is you're you're talking uh, well done. So yeah. So to me, a medium rare is what I shoot for. Yep. It gives that gives me a good mix for because some of my family do like you know a little bit further done. Um, <laughs> that's that's a nice way to say it. <laughs> yeah, I remember telling my wife when we first started dating, and I was like. um you know, 
I don't know how we got on the topic of steakhouses and stuff like that. And she had never been to an upper end steakhouse before. And I, and I was like, well, how do you normally order your meat? And she was like, oh, I get it well done. And I just looked at her like she had six heads. And I was like, unfortunately, I can never take you to a steakhouse. <laughs> It'll get me thrown out. <laughs> my you, favorite. Good thing you told me that after we got married, woman. <laughs> right. Uh, my favorite menu of all. That was beforehand. So she learned. She, so what, what funny thing is what she did. She went on a work trip. And yeah. then she actually ordered like a step down. And then step down and, you know, medium, I'm, I can tolerate. It. And that's where she's at. So I'm like, okay, good. But I, my favorite, my favorite restaurant menu I've ever seen is I went to the restaurant and they had their chart, uh, with the colors and they, and the, and the cook temperatures. Uh, and they were like, uh, you know, they started at rare and they were like 125, uh, dark reddish in the middle. And then they said medium 129 to 135 or something like that. And they were like, you know, more pinkish red in the middle and then they said medium uh medium well uh more reddish brown in the middle and then they said well done and it said eat somewhere else yeah and i think you and i have both gone to a very similar restaurant not together in um halifax nova scotia where with steak at least one of the options is cool blue like it's cool blue Mm -hmm. then it's rare and yeah. I'm like, rare is a for me is a tough one, but cool blue is like mm. that's a that's a no go for me. That's a, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Oh, I remember my cooking days too, where somebody came in and they said they wanted Pittsburgh, they wanted a burger Pittsburgh style, and I was like Pittsburgh style, and uh, they're like, there yeah, wasn't many Google that. in that day. <laughs> yeah, it was no Google then, and they were just like, and the the guy I worked for who had worked in many different restaurants was like. Yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> he was like, but essentially, you take the burger, you throw it on the grill one side, you immediately flip it to the other side, and then you put it on the plate on the bun. I was like, no. <laughs> like he was like, no, we can't do that. It's a bridge too far. It's like um, if you've ever, if, if you haven't heard of a Pittsburgh salad, I didn't. I had never heard of it. Uh, have you ever heard of Pittsburgh salad? No. Uh-uh. So you and I both enjoy, like you enjoy a good salad, like lettuce and all the veggies that you have in a salad. So th- Pittsburgh salad, very same. But then there's cheese and meat and all that stuff. And the lettuce and all the stuff that we enjoy eating is just there to absorb the grease that's dripping down from the stuff <laughs> on top that they want to eat. I- I'm not kidding you. Anyone who's out there, <laughs> look up a Pittsburgh salad and you'll say – Oh my gosh, this guy's not joking. You mentioned something at the top of the show that I think is important, which you said, let the butcher do the bone separation. And I I know everyone believes that the bones will add flavor. And we're not here to debate the science behind whether or not the bones add flavor. However, they do make for good eats. Because, I mean, I'm sure there are people who always do like to have that bone so they can gnaw all the meat right up around the bone and enjoy that. And I think yep. the other thing you get good with bone separation is because you've cut the bone off, you can now get that additional layer of seasoning, of seasoning. right next to the meat. Yes. Yeah. So I'll actually untie it a little bit, get some seasoning down in there yep. and then retie it a little bit and uh, make sure yeah, you you have the opportunity to season more of the meat. Yeah. Now, do you like. do you recompress the the bone back with it, and so the seasoning is kind of like baked there between the bone and the meat, or do you cook the the bone 
off to its own side in the meat by no 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 i always cook it together okay i always cook it yeah so i don't even i try not to undo the the time that they did i just try to you know because it's flexible now i can get some more seasoning down in there i don't go crazy with it because it's going to be good no matter what yeah and if your uh, butcher won't tie it for you then it, it really is easy you're just you get some twine like you would like tying your turkey legs and then you're just really wrapping between the bones so wrap between the bone tie wrap between the bone tie however when you go to sear take your twine off (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you don't start a fire with your twine while you're just trying to sear the outside of the meat yeah i also will say one other thing i I do try to avoid doing is um i know you and both you and i are both in the same camp which is salt and pepper for seasoning and i know some people you were mentioning rosemary you like rosemary to kind of sit over and around maybe even between the bone and the meat like stuff some rosemary in between there when you go to sear that that's not exposed to the flame and the more herb type seasonings you use when you go to sear those will burn so be cognizant that if you're going to start crushing and putting things up in there, that you want to be delicate with your searing process so that you don't burn and give get like a little bit of bitter uh, taste in your your prime rib. Yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to handle that that part this year. I think I might have to do it in the oven because I don't have my egg anymore, and uh, I could, for all intents and purposes, put it on the flat top and just kind of rotate it on there and and just sear the outside. I would get the same effect. Um, or, okay. but it'd probably be easier just to crank up the oven as high as I can and just slide it in the oven and get it done. You got to lead with, I think I'm going to sear in the oven. Cause when you said, I think I'm going to use the oven, I was like, well, you got a smoker. What the heck are you doing? I did, oh. I couldn't even comprehend what you were talking about. Yeah. Then I realized yeah, no. further down your discussion, you're talking about just the searing technique, the oven, everything yeah. else is going in the smoker. I, I part, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 50 50 between just throwing it on the flat top. Because when I did that last tomahawk, the sear that that flat top put on that tomahawk was second to none. Like, I just have never achieved anything like that on a flame grill. It was phenomenal. And so I could definitely see myself putting it on there, top, bottom, or both flat sides, you know, however you want to look at it. And then just giving it like a quick roll, you know, as it's as it's crusting that outside and then take it off and, and be done with it. I could definitely see myself doing that. That flat top does get scorching hot super hot and you can yeah you can get your uh you can get what you want to done get done quickly so i will give you credit where credit's due on that one yep all right so do you do do you make an ajou or no i don't Uh, i'm not opposed to it uh but i me personally so one of the biggest tips i can give folks when they when they listen to something like this and you know you have to when you're getting into doing barbecue and cooking in general and you you know, you have all these tools that you use, but it doesn't make any sense to cook stuff or learn how to cook stuff to somebody else's taste buds. If you like it, chances are people you hang out with are going to like it too. Not everything, but a good chance that most of the people you hang out with are going to like you the way you like to cook things. So if you're not happy with it, what are you doing? You know, just cooking something for somebody else. Uh, it'll happen. I don't eat shrimp, but I know a way to make barbecue bacon wrapped shrimp that people love. Right. So there are things out there. But overall, when you have these big uh, cooks like this, cook it the way you like it. So I and I follow that. So even though I know people love Aju, I tend not to make it. OK, that's fair. Yeah. I will. I alternate on and off on what I'll do. Like my my kids are 
they love steak. So pretty much if I say we're making steak, they don't need anything on it. And it's beautiful when we go to a restaurant because they order their steaks either medium or medium rare is how they want their steak coming out. And they don't need anything on it. Like it's like if there's, if a steak says it has something, they're like, put the sauce on the side. If I think it's right. going to add to the flavor of it, they may dip one time and say, other than that, they just like season it. And if it's seasoned proper, they don't need anything. And for many people, if you season it proper and you're doing the right stuff. And honestly, I think the biggest mistake you can make is you're too lenient with your seasoning. Like my, I'm, I like pepper. Yeah. And I will, I'll, I'll also um, season for me the night before, like I will actually go through and season the meat the night before it's in the fridge. And then usually the day I'm going to cook it, I actually pull it out of the fridge uh, probably like mm, 6 a.m. ish. And I'm just trying to get it up to temp. Like I'm trying to get that core cold chill out of the core of the meat. And it may not go yeah. on until like midday. And that's a, that's a big tip you just dropped for a lot of people that uh, may not realize that when you're cooking, you don't do this with all meat. You don't do it with pork. You don't do it with chicken, but with a thick beef or with a uh, thick steaks. It's a good idea to let them come up to about room temperature so that they cook evenly. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, I mean, you, you, some people may say six hours is way too much. Three hours is more than enough. Then go with three. But I, I'm usually trying to just bring it out and put it on the counter. Everything is kind of coming up to that room temperature before it goes out in, you know, usually yeah. an hour and a half. You're not, you're not cooking it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just trying to get the temperature to come up a little bit before it goes in. So, once it hits that intense heat, it's going to cook evenly. So yeah. for for me, because I'm smoking it, I actually do my standard 250, 250 degrees and let it roll. What do you, what do you, what do you cook at? Um, yeah, I'm around 250 is probably on my top end is where I'm going to be at. I, I might, it might flirt a little lower because I'm, I do work off of the egg. So, um, I, and I don't have a flame boss, so I usually fight the temperature a little bit, but I try to keep it right. Uh, I know exactly where the notches have to be sitting on the, uh, egg to get it right at that 250 mark. So yeah, okay. 250 is about the same temperature for me. So equally as important when smoking beef or smoking anything really is the wood that you use. Are you using any, you have a particular favorite wood that you like to so use with the I know the you're a big roast? oak fan as of late. Um, <laughs> boy. <laughs> I love, I don't know what happened. I was huge on hickory and a mix up between hickory and pecan. I've definitely done some peach wood with ribs. Love that. And then I, I just came across some oak. They were out of hickory and I grabbed oak and I threw it in there. And I was like, I immediately could taste the difference in flavor in the smoke. And, I, and it's been my number one go-to ever since. So I'll I'll have to try some oak. Uh, maybe this year I'll actually go oak. But I will do sometimes a little bit of mesquite inside with pecan. I do really like some pecan. Apple is something I do love, but I like it more on my fishes, like fish or even chicken. Uh, I don't really like it necessarily with um with beef. But uh, mm-hmm. this year, I think I'm going to try roll oak and see if it if uh, if it makes a profound difference as you say it does. Um, and I oh, will God. leave out the mesquite and leave out the pecan this year. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll go all oak and then I may drop in a little bit of pecan just to kind of 
change uh not change it up but just add a little pizzazz to it but uh for the most it's definitely going to be oak as a base oak uh, wood chunks one more tip for folks too that are out there soaking their wood before they put it on the smoker you don't need to do that the wood does not really absorb the water so don't don't bother wasting time smoke soaking your wood there you go that is a good tip because uh, I was about to say, don't forget to soak your w- wood. <laughs> no, <laughs> all seriousness. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It is. It yeah. is. An yeah, I actually watched an time. experiment where the guy soaked the wood for like a uh, time. And then when he cut the wood, like it barely got into there. It was like he said that little bit in there would be gone in like the first you know, five, ten minutes. Yeah. yeah. Even with wood chips, it. it's, it's not worth it's not worth um it's not worth uh, yeah. soaking. I'm just. Throw it on. I mean, it's, it's fortunate enough that there's enough people who've created YouTube videos that have done experiments around all these little um, things that we've done over the years because we think it's going to increase uh, that quality of the cook a little bit more. But um, I'm going to actually give my tip now because I think as we were talking seasoning and I was like, I should just say it now, but um, I held it off a little bit. But my tip is um, I invested – I mean, this, God, I don't know how, many long, how long ago it was in a coffee grinder. And I think it really is when you come to make anything where it calls for a lot of black pepper uh, and prime rib will eat up a lot of black pepper. Anybody who says I can do it with my pepper mill, like sit there and twist my hand and grind, you're lying to yourself. You're either you're not putting enough on or your arm's going to fall off from grinding to try to get the right amount of pepper on there. So I'll take, you know, like, let's say two or three uh, tablespoons and put it in my little uh, my little coffee grinder. And then I'll just pulse that until I get a, a nice, a relatively coarse grind with some fine in there. And then that'll be what I use. And uh, again, low tech, I don't drink coffee. So I, I never have to worry about it getting mixed up with something where I'm actually grinding coffee in. But it's a low tech thing to do, but it, it does save you a lot of pain, especially, and I don't use it for just peppercorns you can use it for many other seasonings but it is it is fantastic when you need to grind up your seasonings one of the best tips i've ever gotten from you in life (laughs) because you can buy electric uh pepper grinders or pepper mills they don't even compare and you know you could also pull out your big cuisinart or your uh you know your um blender and do the same thing but nothing like the 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 coffee grinder grinding your black pepper in your in a coffee grinder is so fast and so efficient but so easy cuz you just turn it upside down and there you go you got you can grind and you can just really look through the top and get the uh the coarseness as Rod mentioned that you want one of my favorite little tech little th- I I keep like I keep one plugged in in my kitchen at all times specifically for doing pepper. And uh, I have a coffee grinder because I do drink coffee and I have a coffee grinder off to the side for grinding coffee grounds. Yeah, it, but one of the best tips ever. Yeah, it works really well. And again, you can use it for other seasonings. So whenever you're dealing with something where it's like fresh ground rosemary, fresh ground this, fresh ground that, and you're trying to get a whole bunch of seasonings done, you just you pull them off, drop them in there, grind them up and keep going. And it's like, oh, this is so much easier to you know create the butter paste with my rosemary than it is to hand grind it or chopping it up it's like it's just that's for the birds man yeah and i've mentioned this before and i'll say it again stop using the morton's black pepper (laughs) you want to immediately make your food go to the next level grind your own 
black pepper. And you know, using this method is the easiest way. And, you know, even like when you see those tri-colored peppercorns where you got like the different colors because they have different f- flavors and different uh, heat, it makes it easy to, to use it, to do those. Yeah, it is. I, I, I'm, it is shocking. Like if you go to someone's house and at the table, they have a salt shaker and a pepper shaker and you're like, what, what, what is that thing? Like, that's what I get when I go to a restaurant that's too lazy to put a pepper mill on the table. Like you want fresh ground. And the funny thing is when you grind it in the coffee grinder, when you first take off that top, you get the true aroma of the coffee. You're like, wow. And you get that with a lot of other seasonings that like the first time when you grind them and you, you open it up and you're like, that's, that's the fragrance you were looking for. And that is going to permeate throughout your meat. So absolutely. Yeah. Definitely grind your own stuff. You said every time we say salt, we do mean kosher salt. So you are not trying to use uh, anything other than kosher salt on this meat. Yep. All right. You got any picks you want to roll with, or do you have anything else you want to cover here? I think. No, I think we did good. I think we did good with the, you know, getting a good rack, getting the cheesecloth, getting just a regular uh, cookie sheet tray to go in the refrigerator. And then on top of that, the coffee grinder. I think that's a perfect uh, mesh of uh, low tech and high tech and medium tech uh, for uh, this particular episode. You can find us on YouTube. Some of our uh, videos we're starting to put up there just to kind of sh- reinforce the techniques and the things that we're talking about on the show. Definitely check us out at barbecueandtech.com. Uh, if you want to support the show, we got the store up. We got some cool cutting boards that are on there, which Christmas is coming up. You making these awesome uh, what good is it making these awesome meats and cutting them on a crappy cutting board? So, <laughs> <laughs> so check out some of the cutting boards we're making. Looking uh, pretty dope. We got the ashtrays up there. So after you eat that fabulous meal, you want to go put your feet up and grab you a nice little cigar. We got the ashtrays to go along with that. Um, we have our Patreon account up. So if you want to help us out on Patreon, go patreon.com forward slash barbecue and tech. Uh, yeah, and just keep uh, tweeting out and uh, rating and reviewing the show. We and we will do our everyone. best to uh, before we get like when we go to our butcher, we'll try to get like so you can see what the what it looks like with the the bone cut off. We'll try to get a couple photos of that that we can put up on YouTube, and we'll also try to share our trimming techniques that we do. So we'll try to get a video up right before the holidays because we know that you'll be likely trimming your prime rib up, getting ready for the holidays. So we will try to put something up closer to. Christmas time so you can kind of see what we're doing in real time and then uh, we will absolutely be tweeting out photos of our prime rib no doubt about that 100% and we wanted to get this episode out in time because we think you know a good two weeks is, is a good time frame to start working on getting your prime rib because I know if we don't put it in early with the butcher we're not getting one yeah so. order now like now is like everybody thinks that they can wait like to three or four weeks before we I need to call in and say I'm going to get a you know four billion bone Prime rib, prime rib, or rib roast. Yep. If you're not going to go with prime cut, and have them put one aside for me, so when I come in, I can pick it up. And I always, I tell them, I usually place my order and say exactly what I want done. So when I'm going in, it's just like it's rod, and they go back and get my cut, bring it out, and I can roll with it. So, um, if you- I have all the guys love me there, so I usually hang out, tell it's them disgusting. to cut the bone in. It's disgusting. <laughs> I introduced him to the butcher, and now they call him by name. It, it's so disgusting. Oh, they're great guys there. They are. Uh, so yeah. All right. So we're out until the next episode. Uh, we gotta 
the next episode after this, I think it's going to be really cool for a lot of people to listen to. So I, I'm not going to say what it is yet, but uh, I think a lot of people will be interested in the topic here because it, it could benefit pretty much everyone. So anything else, my brother? Peace. Peace. We out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.